I think a lot of times I think what people are doing now is that restaurants are starting to realize that they don't need to be open seven days a week anymore. You know what I mean? Like they can have, they can give everybody a good work-life balance, maintain a staff that's going to stay with you. Maybe, you know, you're going five days a week. Maybe Monday and Tuesday is your weekend. But if you go to five days a week, you need less staff because every, you know, you're not scheduling people where you have to kind of have this balance of a schedule to who needs off here, who needs off there. You have a set kind of days off that people can look forward to. They can decompress, recharge their batteries and everything and come back and be a really good productive member of the team. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Burn Chef Journal, a hospitality specific podcast dedicated to challenging mental health stigma and conversations designed to inspire a new, healthier, happier and more sustainable hospitality profession. The Burnt Chef project is proudly sponsored by Lamb Weston, a leading provider of innovative, high-quality potato products created for chefs to help operators thrive both today and tomorrow. Working carefully with sustainably-minded farmers and growers, Lamb Weston provides potato solutions for every type of kitchen, from premium British chips and fries to potato shapes, wedges, and mash. To find out more, Head to lambwestern.eu or search your partner in potatoes. What's good about what you're doing too is that there's not a lot of people that are really aware of that too, how the industry has changed, but also how they can pivot and they need to change with the industry. So some of the chefs and some of the people, they just, they don't realize how things, how people really feel about the industry now and how they have, there's options and everything now that they're not going to listen to the chef that's screaming at them anymore. They're not going to take... The old school of like, what do you mean you want a day off? You know, we're going to work late or we're going to do it's like it just there needs to be a more balanced lifestyle for everybody. Yeah, I do think so. And it's, it's an interesting point, because one of the things that I identified very early on in this was that there's a skill gap shortage. And it's the fact that we're often enough, we are we're put into positions where we are managing people that we are celebrated as leaders when we've got no people experience and no sometimes and no experience like you'll you'll look at a resume for a chef and it'll be like cv of yeah cdp sous chef at 20 senior sous sous chef at 22 head chef at 23 business owner at 25 and you go you missed out on a lot yeah yeah you missed out on a lot right there because you only learn through making mistakes but then if you're only repeating the mistakes that have you make making the same mistakes time and time again because you're not learning and progressing from that and that's just breeding a whole new wave of individuals who are going to follow with that. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, man. So whereabouts are you sat at the moment, Chris? So I am in my home kitchen at the moment. I live in the lower Hudson Valley of New York State. So I'm about an hour, hour and a half north of New York City, right on the river. So it's pretty much a straight shot on the train right down into the city. So I kind of have the best of both worlds right here. I live in, it's called Beacon, New York, right? So it's a small little city. I would say most of the people here, most of the people that I know are all people that are city transplants and everything that, especially, you know, I've been living up here for a while in the Hudson Valley, but a lot of people during and after the pandemic decided to break their roots in the city and then transplant up here because it's a long, but it's a very easy and comfortable commute into the city. And you have the benefits of a great balance of life living here. It's a great community. There's some great, interesting people in the culinary world up here too, because we are have access to a lot of local farming and everything like that too. So for me, it's a great balance. You know, I travel a lot for work 
So great to have roots here and it's great to be close enough to the city. Yeah, definitely. I've assumed looking into, so for, for people at this moment in time who can't see this, which is for everyone, but ultimately I'm looking at a beautiful white brick wall with like lovely, I've got rosemary and they've got thyme dried herbs hanging up behind you with some copper pot, pot skillets and pans. It's, it's beautiful. It looks like a commercial kitchen. Yeah, I got my little little collection of pots and stuff like that. You can see I have my uh, my pizza oven over to the side right there too. I got this little uni gas-fired pizza. So I, I plug that in outside. It gets up to about 900 degrees. And I can just bang out pizzas and everything like that. But I do a lot. Of, I do, I mean, as a chef and everything like that, I mean, cooking is my passion. It's what I do. It's what I love. So I'm the kind of, it's interesting when you hear people, they go, well, you know, you're a chef. I mean, the reality is I don't cook anymore every day. For the next week or so, I probably will be. But then my everyday, like this week is pretty much, this is my week for the next couple of days is sitting in front of a laptop, conducting a lot of calls. That's why I'm kind of, I, I wear the uniform too, because I just like to, you know, it's just, a, it's an image thing, right? It's a chef, you're getting on, you're talking to people. I'm kind of new to a lot of people in the organization I'm working with now. So for me to get on in a dirty t-shirt or a t-shirt, some people get home and they're just comfortable with like their going to be watching football or something for the day. I'd rather just portray my, you know, get myself, oh yeah, this, I'm wearing shorts and sneakers on under, underneath <laughs> this because I was, I was just in the gym before I did this, but that's what I got, you know, and that's the way I think it's important to do that. Well, I think like back in the day when I was in the corporate sector, you're putting on a suit, made you feel like a million bucks. You not just portrayed a level of professionalism, but you felt a lot more professional as well. And I guess it's the same thing, hey? Yeah, if I'm getting on a call, albeit I am home, and you know, yesterday I was on a bunch of calls and everything, and people, everybody asked me, "Go, well, where are you today?" I'm like, and I wasn't here. I was up in an office space I have up on my roof, and it's nice because it overlooks the river and everything. And it was just like, because I'm wearing it. Well, I said I'm home. Like, oh, you're wearing a chef coat. I thought you were in the kitchen. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm a culinary director of <laughs> the company. So, you know, I think it's important to portray yourself as what you're doing. Yeah, exactly. A, a role model as well. A leader. It's your personal brand, right? Yeah, 100%. And so, I mean, you've obviously built up quite a in-depth knowledge and experience of various sides of the hospitality world. You've, you've traveled the world as a culinary director as well, have you? I traveled the world a lot on my personally. And then also I was, re, you know, I've been to the, you know, I've been to Asia, I've been through the Middle East, been through Central America, all over the United States and everything and Europe been to the UK a bunch of times because I had some direct responsibility for some business there when I was with, for a while, I worked with Sodexo for a long time. So in contract catering. So I had some uh, responsibility. I worked with a lot of people over in the UK. My last job was with, my last two years when I was with Sodexo, I was the global director of culinary with Sodexo. So, and then I had a lot of responsibility working with the airlines and Virgin Atlantic over there in the UK and their first class lounges and everything. So, yeah, it's a great experience and it's great to really say learn a lot about people and learn about culture and things like that. It's just working and learning about people from all over the world. Those two years, you know, that time during the pandemic when we were all kind of joined like this on a daily basis, you know, talking to people in Brazil, talking to people in France and the UK and everything. It was just it really started to grow the network of, and it just started to really made the world a lot smaller place in a, in, a, in a good way you know what i mean because it's interesting because you can like, when you have that kind of network and everything you can pick up the phone and call up somebody or send them an email or a text and say you know i'm working on these 
this empanada program or something today. And, you know, I want to know the difference between a Colombian empanada and an Argentinian empanada, because we're doing this research for this client organization that's heavily Latin based, and we want to make sure we're providing an authentic experience. So, you know, you're being able to just log on and do those things and just get those answers in minutes from people that you know and trust is great. Amazing. I mean, it must be so strange going from because of the profession of a chef, right, is you're in a kitchen, you are being creative, but you're in services, you're getting that, that, that adrenaline spike and that rush to then getting on planes and dealing with operational directors for large, large multi-billion pound companies. I mean, how was that transition for you? Well, I've been doing it for a while, right? I worked in restaurants for a while when I first, so my, 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 the beginning of my career, I mean, like a lot of chefs and everything like that, you know, I got in very young probably at a time when it wasn't considered real sexy to be a chef like it is now. Like it's just like people love this business and, you know, they want to get into it and everything. A lot of them don't know what they're getting into when they're thinking about doing that. But I started off very young, went to a vocational high school for it, transitioned, uh, went to culinary school and then, um, you know, started in the business, started off working in restaurants, working in hotels, and then decided that like, this is, there's got to be a better lifestyle, a better way of doing things in this. And I had some friends that started to work for a contract caterer. At the time, it was Gardner Merchant, which was, you know, a UK, based out of the UK there, here in the US. And it was just an interesting way of life going like, okay, well, you go in, you're coming from restaurants and hotels and catering and different sides of the business like that. And all of a sudden, now you find yourself, what do you mean I only have to work till, we're only working till four o'clock. We only serve breakfast and lunch. Great. I have the weekends off. Oh yeah. I have the holidays off. Oh yeah. I have benefits. Wow. This is great. So it's a, it's a completely different lifestyle than it is being a chef and working in a restaurant or a hotel. And it's, it's funny because I, it's just, I just had a interview a couple of weeks ago with one of the culinary schools out, out West. We were kind of just talking through how this side of the industry is a really kind of unknown and un tapped side that people don't really know about when they're in culinary school because they they have these dreams and aspirations of being the next chef that's going to be on the TV or they're going to have a book or they're going to be, you know, a celebrity and a rock star and everything like that. And and then all of a sudden, you know, the reality comes in. It goes, it's, you know, how hard the lifestyle is and everything. And for some people, they don't think that this side of the industry too is a very appealing to them because they think, well, and I hate to call them cafeterias, you know, because they're really have developed into when you think of cafeteria, you think of school lunch or a hospital or things like that, which are all great because, the, you know, there's a lot of things happening within that world, too. But when you think, of, I like to call them the staff restaurants, on-site restaurants and everything. And I look at it in a way like if you can get, if you can articulate to these younger people and everything like that, how good it is and how much they can learn by being in a space like this rather than just going through the grind every day in a restaurant. Now, I do think that that's an important piece to learn as a young chef and apprentice and things like that, to have that experience and do that. In some ways, I kind of look back and go like, well, if I could change things. I might have done this or I might have done something differently. It's definitely, you can do so much more as a chef in this side of the industry. I mean, you could you can explore the world in a week, basically, with all the ways you can change menus and you do things for some of these client organizations. They're want this good, they want fresh food, they want food from scratch, but you might be doing Chinese on Monday, you might be doing something, a UK pop-up on Tuesday, you might be doing some something else on Wednesday, but you know, you're always are able to really pivot and flex and do so many different things than you would be if you were tied to working in a Michelin star restaurant for 
three or four years and doing the same thing day after day. Yeah, it's an interesting point because when we talk to colleges, we do a lot of a lot of training with colleges at this moment in time, just on on various different things. Uh, to be honest, one of the biggest modules we do is on self-care. And people say, we've had a couple of questions actually from, from students that go, if mental health is such a big problem within the industry, why should we continue wanting to be in the industry? And you go, well, the industry isn't necessarily just about being in a service, in a busy restaurant, in, a, in the middle of a city. You have such a, a wide, diverse number of roles within this this great profession that you're able to do whatever you want. And really, you're the only limit is the limit that you set upon yourself. You know, even like I was chatting to a friend of mine who works in a care home, and he absolutely loves life now. You know, he's gone from serving fine dining food to now working in a care home, which to many people would think, well, that's a huge step down. But his creativity, his he's got a decent budget, like he's got a good life work-life balance. He's using modern gastronomy techniques as well for people with dementia who can't swallow properly. And so there's a whole there's a whole load of things that you can do that don't necessarily have to mean that you have to be in a busy service working 80-hour weeks. And, and I think it's important, especially at student level, to be able to say to them, like, look, you can travel the world. You can do whatever you want. doesn't necessarily mean you have to be tied to one spot for the entire time. No, and that's that's an interesting point, too, when you mentioned self-care, both physical and mental awareness, too, because years ago, it used to be a badge of honor to work. I'm working 80 hours. I just cut myself on the line, and but I wrapped it up with a piece of duct tape, and I'm, I charged ahead and did this, and nobody really batted an eye. You know, my, well, my, my uncle died, but I'll be here all morning, and, you know, because the funeral isn't until 12 o'clock, and, you know, it's like, that's craziness when you really think back on how people neglect their own physical health, one, you know, to really take, because exercise is definitely an important piece for your mental health as well. But that's all gets ignored because people really don't take care of themselves. They work their, their butts off. And then the next thing you know, they're getting done with a shift and they're out drinking. And then it's two or three o'clock in the morning and then they're waking up the next day. And then and they're high-fiving each other that next day because it's like, wow, you know, I trudged through it. I, I got hung over, but we really partied. And it's like, that catches up to you. You know, that kind of lifestyle and everything catches up to you. I think it's almost like being an athlete. I think you got to take care of your body and your mind in that way in this industry, because, you know, you're really one, it's good for your own physical health. There's people relying on you and it, it's a much clearer way of living and thinking and more, you know, definitely, I think a lot more creativity and everything comes from a healthier lifestyle like that. Yeah. And uh, do you know what? That That's quite an interesting paradigm shift. The fact that Within general hospitality, it's front of house, back of house as well, whether you're you know, a mixologist or whether you're a head chef or a sous chef or even a KP looking at, at becoming a chef yourself. There's a sense of pride in the role. You know, it's all about it's all about being chef. It's all about delivering experiences to people or creating the next amazing drink or or plate of food. But often enough, on the flip side of that, we're creating environments that aren't conducive to being more creative and, and instilling more passion and creativity into our work so we're actually self-sabotaging ourselves on a daily basis it's madness isn't it one hand you'll cut your own finger then or you cut your own off and turn a it or go to hospital and come back and finish service but would you have done that if you hadn't been out on the bender 24 hours before yeah yeah it's just i think it's definitely 
something that needs to be that's it's something that's being addressed in the industry. Obviously, how much the industry has changed and how people are everything identifying, you know, mental health, I talking about mental health, talking about physical health, talking about addiction, talking about all these things that come into play in our industry because it's definitely something that affects everybody, you know. And I I mean for me in the kitchens that I work in, I want to set a really great environment and be a good role model for people. When you travel around, like I I don't drink, <laughs> you know what I mean? And a lot of people, and I travel around a lot of times and people want to go around and they feel, well, we're traveling, so it's time to party. Well, I can party without drinking, you know, number one. And two, you know, because I'm going to feel like great the next day, you know, when we have to get up and work every day. And because there's, there's times when you're going away and you're mobilizing and opening up new business and you know, you have to be on top of your game. You can't go out and do the parties and things like that. And it's not going to be good. And it's not going to be you for, for anybody. You know I mean? Like you got to set that example for people too. You've just touched upon something that was a bit of a epiphany for me fairly recently. I, because I'm traveling a lot with work and I'm, I'm spending time away in hotels or, you know, away from family and friends. And I was always struck by well, I'm in a hotel, so I'm going to eat some food and have a beer. I might have two or three beers and then get up and go home the next day or whatever it might be. And I suddenly stopped and thought, why? Why Why do I feel like this? What's driving me to want to, to feel like you know I need to self-soothe with alcohol? And I came to the conclusion that I didn't really feel comfortable with my own company in isolation. Solitude wasn't a friend for me. But it actually, rather than just leaning into it and going with the flow and then regretting it the next day, I actually started to question why I was looking to have a couple of beers or why I was looking to have that to de-stress. And it's actually quite an interesting thing because I don't think we ever actually, as human beings, stop to examine our own behaviours because it's not something we're, we're consciously aware of. We, we feel, we do. Monkey see, monkey do, isn't it, really? Yeah, for me, it was, it was quite a profound profound moment so now I'm, I'm actively trying to find distractions but also trying to learn how to be comfortable with my own solitude and be alone with my own thoughts in a room on my own for a while yeah and i think that's that's the toughest part with a lot of people when it comes to alcohol or alcohol abuse and things like that and because it's like in a lot of cases it is that it's people that are you know isolating or being alone and doing that because you know you're a lot of people are used to working at such a fast pace and being around people all the time. And when it comes time to settle down, next thing you know, it's like, okay, what do I do now? You know what I mean? And like, sometimes that's where your drinking comes into play for a lot of people. You know what I mean? Or like when you're traveling in a hotel, it's like, well, I can go upstairs and I can get on the computer and do work for the next couple hours, or I can maybe just try to be social and sit in the lobby bar and everything like that. But that's not something like when I go, like, it's like finding those other things to do, right? It's like finding those, that balance of like, okay, maybe I'll hit the gym for an hour. You know what I mean? And I've been doing a lot of like, um, self-development, personal development, things like that to kind of like listening to these podcasts, kind of like, like really just learning about people, learning about things, learning about how I can also how I can help people too, because like, you you know, a lot of things that come into play when I'm just looking at a lot of your training online too, is really understanding people and how you can help people too. And not just being the hard charging chef that's going to go in there and get the job done and scream and yell, which has really never been in my I never was really one of those people, you know what I mean? But I also was not one to 
have the empathy of like really understanding what other people are going through sometimes and what they're doing. And 20 years ago, I might've been the guy that been like, what's up with this guy? He left at three o'clock to coach his kids baseball game. What do you mean? <laughs> you know, we got work to do and it's like, and it's not looking back on it. You know, he had a lot more of a, of a life balance and everything than maybe I did because, you know, I was there and I was working till nine o'clock at night and then coming back in the next day and doing that. And it's just like, there's a better way of life and you can balance things and get a lot, be a lot more productive by having a balanced lifestyle than something like that. So what was the turning point for you then, Chris? Because this, it's not like we talk about it quite lapsadaisical, but as I said, it's not, it's not easy. It's, it's, you don't just suddenly go, ah, now this is what I'm going to do for the next five years of my life and everything's going to be hunky dory. So, so what, what was the catalyst for you and how did you implement those changes? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, obviously getting into this part of the industry, I started off, you know, like I said, being an executive chef, working in a lot of different corporate operations and everything. And then I started to, I moved into regional roles here in the US, you know, mobilizing new business, selling new business, doing a lot of different things, you know, events and things like that all around the country and everything. And eventually moved into, you know, a global role for a couple of years, but it was just like, it was that turning point of getting one, getting out of that hard part of the industry, the restaurants, the hotels and things like that and going, I want to have a better lifestyle, which in some ways is once you start to get into a role like this, it's a little bit different because you are working a lot of hours too. You're working in some cases as many hours as you would work in a restaurant, but it's different. You know what I mean? Because I have the balance, like I'm home for the next three days. I'm working. I'm putting in a 12 hour day every day, but I have the balance of being able to go pick up my daughter from school later or do things like that, you know? So it's, it's definitely the balance for me. And like, and also just understanding that, you know, we all have a expiration date <laughs> in life. And it's like that, I'm not talking about, you know, dying or anything like that, but it comes like, there's a time when it's like, you know, there's that being on that line and working in that kitchen and everything and being there at six o'clock in the morning and leaving at nine o'clock at night, just isn't going to cut it anymore physically, mentally, and everything like that. So being able to do this and be more of the, the coach is is definitely a great lifestyle for sure. And this is just, it helps me with a lot of things. You know, I get to work with a lot of great people all over the world. Yeah, I just, I enjoy it. I really do. And I, I love this business. I wouldn't want to be doing anything else for sure. If you're enjoying this week's episode, consider heading over to our website and supporting our ongoing work in destigmatizing mental illness and creating a healthier, happier, and more sustainable industry by purchasing some of our branded merchandise. We have a whole range of t-shirts, hoodies, chef's jackets, well-being journals, plus a whole host more available on Worldwide Dispatch. All funds raised from sales of these items go towards free-to-access e-learning content, as well as providing free support systems and help for those who may be experiencing difficulty with their mental health. In your sort of opinion, because one of the reasons why I started this was to encourage more people to get into the industry earlier and stay in it until later. And it wasn't as like a, I'm saying that I'm, I was more concerned about the industry going down, but I generally do think it's a great profession. If people were to want to stay in a restaurant with busy service times, what do you think like is the the two two or three things that that organization needs to implement to be able to have a team of chefs who may be in their late 40s, 50s, 60s of age? 
Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, I think, a comfortable work environment, right, is important, right? I mean, I think the days of, I think in a lot of times with, you know, because I do some good amount of work with designing new operations and things like that. And the days of, you know, the back of the house being shuttered and being something that, you know, the chef is just going to peek out from behind a closed door are kind of, are kind of gone. It's the front of the house now. And it's just as important as the front of the house. One, for if it is going to be open to the public for people to see, it needs to be aesthetically pleasing and everything too. But I also feel that when designing a kitchen, it needs to be aesthetically pleasing in a clean, comfortable working environment for the people that are going to be spending those 12 or 13 hours a day in the kitchen because it makes a huge difference to people to have working equipment, a clean floor, a, a clean toilet, as crazy as that sounds. But like it's, you know, it's like it, you should be, you're going to spend more time there than you sometimes are spending at home on those days. So it needs to be a clean, comfortable working environment. There needs to be a structure of people being able to not live in fear of their job or the chef that they're working for and everything. There needs to be an open line of communication with hierarchy within the organization and the chef and people can communicate and be able to talk back and forth about problems or maybe not problems, being able to contribute to the organization and not just a spoke in the wheel. You know I mean? That's just making it, making it spin. I think that's important too. And um, schedule too. I think a lot of times I think what people are doing now is that restaurants are starting to realize that, they don't need to be open seven days a week anymore. You know what I mean? Like they can have, they can give everybody a good work-life balance, maintain a staff that's going to stay with you. Maybe, you know, you're going five days a week. Maybe Monday and Tuesday is your weekend. But if you go to five days a week, you need less staff because, every you know, you're not scheduling people where you have to kind of have this balance of a schedule to who needs off here, who needs off there. You have a set kind of days off that people can look forward to. They can decompress, recharge their batteries and everything and come back and be a really good productive member of the team. You know, I think that's COVID has changed a lot of that because I think COVID was a good way that restaurants and the hospitality business, you know, for there's a lot of ident- ways to identify a lot of kinks in the, in, in, the, in the armor, right? The way people, the way restaurants operated, the way people were and everything, all this time that people had sitting at home, they're like, well, do I need to go back and do that? Because Amazon is going to pay me, you know, X amount of dollars. And, you know, I'm not going to get screamed at. I'm not going to do this. And, you know, I got a break. I do this. So I think we need to just, you know, there needs to be a way to make things more attractive and everything for the business right now. And we as leaders in the in the industry need to be spearheading that. And one of them is like, a, a, you know, some a lot of the work that you're doing here, the Burnt Chef Project. And I was like... Super excited to be able to talk to you and everything today because it's something that I feel is extremely important, really, just to really get to the core of people and what you're doing and what some of these other organizations are doing to help the industry and help people speak up, not live in that kind of that stigma of like, you know, I'm I'm suffering or I'm, you know, I have a problem today, right? You know, it's like there's doing a great thing for for the industry. And I think it's something that's a long, long time coming, right? Well, yeah, I mean, it's madness to think that it it has taken so long to get to this stage, really, especially when you compare yourself to other sectors and you look at whether the financial sector or the insurance sector or even engineering sector as well, like which is obviously yeah skilled skilled labor again, but there are different sectors that have they just I don't know they just seem to have better structures in place at this moment in time, so. It's something that it's going to constantly evolve and constantly change, I think. I mean, it's all based on the feedback of the community because without the community, it's it's nothing. 
at all. Yeah, yeah. And talking about communities, because you're involved in sort of a similar, is it a similar setup over in America called Ben's Ben's Friends? Yeah, so I, I told you before, you know, we talked about before that, you know, I had given up alcohol as part of my, my lifestyle and everything too. And, you know, which I think the, we'll call it like the sober movement here and globally really amongst people in the industry or anything is really growing where people are starting to, you know, let's say ditch the drink and move into other things. So I got involved with this organization called Ben's Friends, which was started by two gentlemen, Steve Palmer and Nick, Mickey Baxt, right? And they started this down in Charleston, South Carolina. And it's called Ben's Friends because there was a gentleman named Ben Murray who had worked for them. And he had problems and issues with substance abuse for many years, wound up killing himself. And, you know, and Steve and Mickey are both in recovery as well. I think they combined, they have about 50 years of sobriety behind them. I know Steve just celebrated like 20 years a couple of days ago, right? So they started this organization called Ben's Friends, which is really geared towards people in the restaurant and hospitality business. So there's about, there's chapters that are all over the U.S. where they have these in certain cities, but we there's a daily call every day at 1 p.m. every day where it's a Zoom call, right? We have, there's, there's this late night calls, Right. For people, I was just on one last night because I happen to be up late. So 11 p.m., three days a week. And then there's a men's meeting. And then there's a ladies meeting. But it's pre- it's people, it's chefs, it's restaurateurs, it's bartenders, winemakers, all these different people that are in the industry. And it's an organization similar to what AA might be for some people. Right. So and a lot of these people are, you know, have been in AA and everything before. But like what's good about this is that we all can identify with each other. So we get on these calls and and we have these daily calls and there's usually, you know, sometimes it's a guest speaker. Sometimes we're talking about a subject and everything, but we all have the same kind of common background, being chefs, being restaurateurs and everything. And a lot of times it's really hard for people and people think that you can't be in the industry because you're a sober person or somebody that's not drinking. Right. So, but this goes to prove that you can be, you know, these two gentlemen, you know, Steve and Mickey, I mean, Steve's an incredibly successful restaurateur. He's written a book, you know, a best-selling book called Grace, Say Grace, right? And it's about his journey through life and, you know, substance abuse. And then, you know, on the back end of it, his recovery and success in the restaurant industry. I think he owns 26 restaurants right now throughout the Southeast. And then Mickey as well, six really super successful in the restaurant business, sommelier and all this, but he... He's a sober person right now, and they've started this great organization, and it's growing, and we'd love to see it grow more, <laughs> be grow, you know, even globally and everything, because it's just like, I think it's a big benefit to a lot of people, because a lot of people sometimes are scared to take that step, or, you know, you might have a chef or somebody that's all of a sudden they hear from somebody and they jump on one of these calls, and they almost feel like they're, it's like being at home, because now you're on a call, you're talking to chefs, you're talking to like-minded people in the industry that have overcome something or in the process of overcoming, you know, something with an addiction or mental health or something like that. And having this community is a huge benefit for a lot of people. And there's a lot of really interesting, great people that are there on this, in this community. That's amazing. And how many people sort of join these, these conversations on a regular basis? It depends. I mean, I would say like on a daily basis, there's probably about, 25 to 30 people at 1 p.m. Eastern time in the afternoon that are on there. You know, these late, the weekends, this is seven days a week too. And it's like, so 
There's the weekends as well. I'm just going to pull up something. I'll read you something over here. But, you know, so weekends as well. So, and then these late nights. So it's usually about 20, and there's usually a lot of the same people. And there's people that host the meetings. So, and then there's people that, people that speak up when new people come on, you know, they exchange phone numbers and people can talk to people and stuff like that. So it's, I, it's just really great. You know what I mean? And, you know, the book that Steve wrote was a fabulous book, just talking about his, how the industry kind of saved his life too. You know what I mean? Like, cause it's an industry that he loves and he industry that you know, he's employed, you know, he's got over a thousand people he's employing right now. You know what I mean? And he's got a Ted talks that you should take a look at. You can click onto it. I think I sent you the website. I don't know if you took a look at his Ted talks and stuff, but yeah, I have, I have shake it up. Is it shake it up? He was talking about how we need to, to shake up the way that we view the subject of alcohol and drug abuse and, the subject of mental health within the industry. It's a, it's a very interesting talk, actually. Yeah, for sure. And it's everything, right? It's like, because I mean, you know, it goes hand in hand, you know, the alcohol or substance abuse of any kind really goes hand in hand with the stigma of, you know, mental health and everything too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you get burnt out and the next thing you know, you're drinking, right? Yeah. We had a university student recently write about this and, and use the Burnt Chef projects as sort of like a focal point. And they were talking about, it's just a constant cycle. It's a cyclical cycle of the fact that you're working long hours. You need physical and mental stimuli to be able to bring you up or to bring you down. And then as a result, that then produces the knock-on effect for the following day, which then impacts work, impacts your fatigue, like fatigue levels and your mental cognitive abilities. So then you end up, again, just becoming reliant upon it as a, as a self-medication tool. Yeah. And it's sometimes in this industry and everything, it's almost like celebrated or expected, you know what I mean? That you're going to go out and some people drink, you get caught up in that lifestyle of it's easy, right? It's easy for some people. And I'm, I'm one that when I was working, I it wasn't really drinking a lot when I was doing that because I always wanted to stay focused on what I was doing. But, you know, you get caught up and get, it's almost like living in like a rock star lifestyle. You start going to these wine festivals and doing all these things. And next thing you know, People are throwing booze at you all over the place and you're drinking, you know, from eight in the morning until midnight. And that's just not a healthy way of living and everything. And I just decided, you know, it was like one of those things and it's good to give this up. I have a young daughter, you know, and it's like one of those things you think about, right? It's like, well, what would I do? It's easy to come home and drink and say, you're going to have, a, I'm going to have a bottle of wine with dinner. I'm going to cook. We're going to drink some wine. But, you know, what if I had to, something happen to my daughter and she fell down and cut herself and I had to take her to the hospital? Am I going to get in a cab and say, I can't, you know, I can't do that because I'm drinking. It's just all those little things that you think about, right? It's just, it's a way better lifestyle to not to be doing that. And I'd like to portray that for my, for the people that I work with and also for my family too. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then from the sound of things, the Ben's Friends community is greatly benefiting from that as well. You've got a lot of people who are actively participating in recovery at this moment in time or who are looking at getting it started, which have you seen the numbers increase through that? The numbers really increased during the pandemic of people joining Ben's Friends. You're talking about joining, right? So yeah, a lot of people have joined and it's every day there's somebody new popping onto these calls. There's probably a lot more people that are, I would say, part of the community that aren't doing that every day. And then there's some people that are on calls every day because they have the time to just jump on. And some people, even if you jump on for a half an hour or you jump on 15 minutes for the end, if you don't have the time, I think it's it's helpful for people to have that power of that connection, to be able to say like, you know, I'm having a bad day. 
let me jump onto this. And then you all of a sudden, like your maybe your bad day gets redirected. And now you're going to be more productive for the rest of the day because you're kind of refocused and reset yourself by being on one of these calls and talking to people. Because like I said, I mean, it's a great organization. They're really starting to grow. And I think they're doing a really good thing for the industry for sure. Thank you. No, it's appreciated. I mean, it's, a, it's something that I've wanted to do for a little while with regards to sort of peer support network. And it's something that we've started to put into play with the ambassador scheme. So it'd be worthwhile, I think, just exploring what Ben's friends has currently and seeing what we can do together. Because if it's if it's helping people in within the hospitality sector, then it, it makes sense that we should be able to collaborate and be able to spread that. Yeah, I'm involved with them pretty heavily. You know, I'm on the calls and you know, I talk to the founders and stuff like that. So I'd love to just try to see if we can join together and see what we can do to maybe kind of spread the word of Ben's friends, but also spread the word of the Burn Chef project over here in the US. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot of synergies there. And I think that a lot of people would be able to benefit from it quite greatly. So especially now, because we still get messages on a regular basis from people who are experiencing problems with drink or or drugs. And whilst we have supportive structures in place in terms of text-based services and online online therapy, I still think, as you said, you need that community. You need that that place where you can feel heard and belong. Yeah. And the good thing about this, too, is that, you know, you could, with the power of Zoom and all of this other things we have right now, I mean, these calls are all on Zoom. You don't have to, you know, you're not incurring any kind of phone charges or anything like that. If somebody wanted to jump onto a Ben's Friends meeting, and it's dinner time, your time over there in, in, in the UK, but it's like, you know, one o'clock in the afternoon every day of the week and somebody can jump on and just like, I think a lot of people can get something out of it. We've had people jump on from other parts of the you know world and everything like that. So that's amazing. And in terms of the people who host these conversations, so people like yourself, do you go through training? Is there is any formal safeguarding in place? I haven't hosted anything yet because I don't, it's, it's tough for me to make because I think well, a lot of people that host have that they're kind of committed and they can make that exact time every day on that date. And for me, it's very tough with my work schedule and everything to say, like, I might be able to do it this Tuesday, but for the next four, I'm not able to do it. So I haven't really reached, come out and hosted anything yet. But I'd say no. I'd say the people that host aren't. Uh, there's no training or anything that goes into that. I think they just kind of take it on. You know, they'll open up the call with talking about a subject or themselves or have a speaker and then kind of go around the room. Everybody kind of contributes. Sometimes it's just the speaker picking people or sometimes they'll say it's like popcorn style. So the first person that speaks going to pick the next person and picks the next person and picks the next person. But it goes along like that. But I mean, and I think that's like, too, is like, I think a lot of some of the people that are involved with it, it would be great for them to kind of take a look at your training and what you have here on the Burnt Chef Project, right? Like, I think I think the whole thing with just each city has their own person, right? It's kind of like a, and you, you'll see that when you look at the website and everything. So there's Austin. We don't really have, we don't have anything in New York right now, but there's Austin, there's Charleston, South Carolina, there's Charlotte. There's all these different cities that host, in addition to these Zoom meetings that happen every day, there's live and in-person meetings that happen once a week, you know, in these, in these other cities. So, you know, Washington, D.C., a lot, of, a lot of stuff that's down in the southeast part of the U.S. because that's kind of where it started, you know, and then spreading out Kansas City. I think they're going to, you know, they're doing something in Detroit right now. So on the West Coast in Portland. So it's kind of it's really grown and spread out all over the country. Very heavily West. A lot of a lot of stuff on the West Coast and the Northwest there. And then a lot of stuff down in the East. But it's starting to go kind of go all over the place and grow. 
That's amazing. And if people wanted to learn more about that, where could they where could they find the website for Ben's Friends? It's Ben's Friends, Ben'sFriendsHope.com. Yeah, dot com, right? So, but I think if you can, uh, it'd be great if you can just post it maybe on the Burnt Ship on Instagram or something like that, because that would really, yeah, it's Ben'sFriendsHope.com, H-O-P-E. Okay, wonderful. Yeah, we'll pop that in the bio so that people can access that as well, because we do ha- luckily to have an international audience from all over the world who, as you say, if it's on Zoom, they can they can access that as well. And hey, anybody can get on it anywhere, anytime. And like I think, like I said, it's such a welcoming community because you know it's think about what we do, right? We're in the hospitality business. You know, somebody comes on, and there's a lot of people willing to talk and willing to. There's a Facebook page too called Ben's Friends here to talk, right? So it's a closed group that you'd have to get access to and everything, but it's also great because it opens up people to be able to just kind of meet other people, albeit virtually in most cases, but you never know. You, you Sometimes you get people who are going to come on here and they're going to go, hey, well, I know that guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you never know this this world today. Like I think you and I have some mutual connections on LinkedIn, <laughs> you know what I mean? Because with some of the guys over there in in, in your uh, over in the UK there. So it's like, it's interesting how the world has just become so much smaller and you get on these calls and all of a sudden it's like, Hey, I know that guy. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's always been an incestuous is perhaps not the correct term to use in this, but it's always been a, a close knit industry. And it's surprising how often you come across someone who you're very, very closely connected by, but you just didn't know. It didn't know. Like it's just, it's madness. What's great about the industry, it's almost like I don't I don't I don't want to disrespect soldiers and say it's almost like but like you have that common bond that you have because of the nature of the work that we do. And I think that's what's great about this community is that people can get on it and they're like to hear see a successful chef who's running, you know, a Michelin star restaurant over in Portland get on and talk about his journey or talk about the, what he's doing to stay healthy, stay sober and do these things, I think is just it helps people that might have apprehensions about you know where they're going with their own sobriety and everything like that but and it becomes on something it's almost like it's addictive for people because they're like i want to get on this call i want to make sure because then it's it really helps people when they get on these calls and they then they they leave an hour later and they feel a lot better than they did when they joined the call good well that's that's what we need more of in this industry at this well at this particular time as well really so thank you for sharing that no, I thank you. I would love for you to, you know, like I said, if you could spread the word and get love to hear some people pop on from other parts of the globe and really see what the power of what this has and everything too. Yeah, definitely. Let's get a date in the diary and have a conversation with the founders and, and see what we can see what we can get sorted. Oh, I can definitely do that for sure. Wonderful. Thank you. And if people wanted to to find you online, Chris, where's where's the best place for them to be able to to follow your work or yeah, I do. So I post, uh, I kind of a social media, I'd say geek, you know, I mean, like, I, I love the power of Instagram, because I love getting on and see what my colleagues and my friends are doing all over the world with food. So I am at my Instagram handle is at, at Hudson Valley Kitchen, Hudson, you know, the Hudson, I live here in the Hudson Valley in New York, Hudson Valley Kitchen, always posting pictures of food. I, I love it's so many ideas, you know, with Instagram to get on there and see what what's happening, what people are doing. But also, I love seeing your, the posts from the Burnt Chef project and everything too, because it's really cool. And I I forwarded it to a lot of people within the industry and the organization. Like I said, with this learning and development teams to say, hey, take a look at this, take a look at these things that are here, these tools that we can have to get to our chefs to learn. Because you know, everybody's talking about mental health. Everybody's you know, there's a lot of 
stuff that people are putting on, you know, posting on LinkedIn, they're posting it on Instagram, they're posting on all these social media channels. And but what are we doing about it, really? What are we doing to talk to our people more about mental health, talk about how, because it is something that's affecting not only in this industry, but it's like everybody. It's like really being open and honest about mental health. That's why I love this whole thing with you guys with fuck stigma, right? <laughs> it's just like, it's the truth, right? It Well, it, in the same way that if you've got people who are running around causing physical harm, they you call the police and you get them taken off the streets, right? You Yeah. With stigma, we just sort of ignore it and hope that it goes away. And yet it still continues to harm people. So fuck it. Let's challenge it. Let's make this a conversation that everyone needs to be part of. And those who aren't feel like they're missing out because it is important and it is costing lives. So let's get it sorted. Yeah. Good on you. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I love the fact that, you know, you're 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 a follower of the Burnt Chef project and also you're actively participating with Ben's friends as well. It's really great. It's really great to hear. So thank you for joining us. Yeah, no, I definitely like I said, I'm actively, you know, participating in that, but I'm also gonna just I, I'm interested in becoming an ambassador and everything. So I was looking at that kind of the whole process and I was looking at that online like you're on your uh the website there. So Brilliant. Definitely something I'm interested in and definitely something I'll pursue and fill out the forms and everything like that too. So, Yes, please, because we are we're keen to get chief ambassadors in various parts of the world. We are slowly branching out to uh, places like Canada where we're getting teams out there set up. So Australia, Canada, America, South America, Africa, you name it. We want ambassadors in every part of the world so that, again, we can create a stronger, stronger sense of community and family and open up more conversations. Yeah. And like I said, whatever I can do to help spearhead some of that and everything too. I have some colleagues in other parts of the world and everything too, but also working for a global organization. Maybe we could spearhead some of that stuff as well. Wonderful. Yes, please. Very much so. Chris, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and thank you very much for your time today. Yeah, you too. Thank you for your time. This was great. I enjoyed it. I'll also get you I'll connect you with the Ben's Friends founders as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps that's another podcast episode in itself to understand a little bit more about that journey. Yeah. Wonderful. Thank you very much, my friend. And well, what time is it there? That's seven o'clock. Okay. Crikey. So seizing the day as we speak then. I'm up. I get up early. I like to get up early every day. It's just amazing how you can wake up some, you know, you get up early and then you turn around, it's nine o'clock and go, well, I did all that before nine o'clock in the morning. And there was days, you know, in the past when you were passed out on the, in bed until 11 o'clock in the morning. But yeah, those days are over. I like getting up early and seizing the day for sure. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I forced myself out of bed at seven o'clock this morning to go for a swim, which was just a mission in itself. It's like a 20 minute drive, go for a swim for a half an hour. I do feel like I've achieved something with the day. But my God, getting into water at that time in the morning and, and trying to, to breathe without drowning is <laughs> it's a challenge when you haven't woken up. <laughs> I was in the gym at five o'clock this morning, so I was downstairs. And I have—I mean, I have a gym in my building, so I just walk downstairs and go to the gym. So it was good. Good on you. Well, Chris, thanks very much, mate, and we'll we'll catch up soon. Okay. Yeah, sounds good. Take care now. Cheers, dude. See you later. Bye, bye. Thanks. Bye.